As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. On today's episode, we're talking the January transfer window, who has already moved, who might get to stay, who might go, and whether Cody Gakpo at Liverpool will be a great signing or the greatest of signings. Here with me to do that uh, is a man who doubles as a Boris Johnson impersonator, at least according to his daughter. It's Graham Ruffin. Hi, Graham. <laughs> that was maybe one of the most painful moments of my whole life, actually. I was going to say as, as a father, but no, of my, my entire 31 years on, on, on this earth. Yeah, that was that was a painful moment. Can you set the scene? Sure. So um, it's on. It's posted on my Instagram account. Mm-hmm. So if anyone wants to follow me there, shameless plug. But essentially, my wife is uh, is a, a newsreader, a, a television presenter in Scotland. My wife is on the TV. Sophie, my daughter, it spots my wife on the TV. Goes over to the TV, and then all of a sudden, because it's a news program, it switches to a VT of Boris Johnson. At which point, Sophie goes. Daddy, uh, <laughs> which maybe when I had the maybe when I had the blonde hair, I could. Uh, this was pre blonde hair, so that was particularly insulting in that moment. I mean, it's a pretty uncanny resemblance once you start to look sure. at it. It's 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 the Piers Morgan uh, pigeon lady from Home Alone two sort of thing. Uh, it's really <laughs> don't, don't see that. it's mirrors of oh, each no. other. <laughs> uh, Graham, good to have you here. Joining me as well is a man who turned down suitors in Europe, South America, Kansas City, and Saudi Arabia just to be here today. It's Joe Lowry. Joe, thank you for making that sacrifice. You know, I am thrilled to come to South Africa. I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy to be involved. Um, It's great to be here. I love this country. Let's get started, everybody. Let's get started, indeed. Uh, We're going to be talking January transfer window. A quick and strange aside before we do so, however, uh, for people who are not uh, on on Twitter or try to ignore Twitter actively, a strange story yesterday. I'm going to try to explain it as I understand it. I will welcome either of you or both of you to jump in with any extra details. But it's basically two parts of a story. The first is we got a statement uh, from Greg Berhalter uh, that reveals that he had a abuse situation is the best way I can explain it uh, with his then girlfriend, now wife. This was in the early 90s. Uh, he kicked her in the legs, is what his statement said. She dumped him. Uh, they reconciled seven or eight months later. They met with her family and his family. He went to counseling. They've moved on. They've been together since then. But the reason we heard about this is because uh, there were allegations or threats uh, of blackmail to U.S. soccer, that there was an attempt to, quote, take him down. Uh, and I think the idea was that this would be revealed, he would get canceled, or his deal would not be renewed, and and, and Greg Berhalter would be out. Uh, but we will be getting more information, it sounds like, today. Uh, there are independent investigators looking into this. U.S. soccer has brought in an independent party to kind of review everything and, and see what has happened and then provide some details. So we will keep an eye on this story. It's a very, very strange story and one that like, we could speculate wildly on for probably an hour and a half, but maybe that's not the best thing to do right now. So mm. any other information from either of you that's uh, worth throwing in here? 
No, I, I think it, I think it probably is wise to see what shakes out here with the investigation, with any more information that is going to come out of of that investigation. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a chance that speculation here could age uh, age pretty poorly, and yep. so I would I would rather wait until we have all that information to make a judgment, or even to make a judgment on whether we need to make a judgment, if that <laughs> yes. makes sense yes. at all. But things are going to shake out a little bit, and um, yeah, just a, just a, a truly bizarre story it's it's been a weird time for u.s soccer post world cup and this just kind of added to that sense yes i I think that's that's a well summarized graham so we'll leave it there we'll update as information becomes available if we need to for now the january transfer window is upon us graham are you excited for the rumor mongering to have fully commenced yes and no i feel like the the january transfer window often flatters to deceive where there is a Mm -hmm. lot of there's a lot of smoke and not a great deal of fire. So, for example, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, you go into the Liverpool gossip column and everything is about Jude Bellingham at the moment. And I'm not convinced that transfer is going to happen in January or, or even there's a chance of that transfer happening in January. That might be a summer transfer. So I do enjoy a transfer window. I enjoy the the fantasy of it and imagining how players could fit in at teams. But unfortunately, unlike the summer window where there is a lot of activity not a great deal gets done, certainly not with the best players in the world, which is where the fantasy element really comes in. As I said in the intro, though, we have had uh, some moves happen, some moves we, we think are likely to happen. We're getting to those. But Joe, for you, like a peek behind the curtain, is now about the time you start regularly checking in on Tom Bogert to make sure he's staying healthy? Because I'm kind of picturing him <laughs> late at night, frantically typing in a dark room that's only illuminated by his computer, Hawaiian shirt, half-buttoned, mustache flawless, scrambling <laughs> to get his story about Colorado's third-choice left-back being traded. Does that sound about right to you? Is that about where he is usually? That does sound right. I can't decide if I should check in on Tom more or less because I always feel kind of bad sending a text because it's like, all right, you've got 87 other texts that you've got to respond to or, or you're actively on the phone and have been for four hours now consecutively. But yep. yeah, I mean, this is, this is the time of year in MLS in particular, right? Graham's talking about the January window flattering to deceive. You know, MLS in the offseason before their season gets going, things are, are churning right now. So, you know, Aaron Long, it looks like, is headed to LAFC. We'll talk more about USMNT transfers later this week on the Patreon. So I don't know how much USMNT chat we're going to do here. So go check out uh, TSS Plus and, and there'll be notes about that in the description. Go check that out. But I mean, yeah, this this time of year is busy here in North America. And I mean, even on the other side of the Atlantic, Graham, you're totally right. I mean, this this window is not as big as the summer window. But there's already been some big moves, or big reports at least, of moves that we expect to happen, and we'll talk about that later. But we, we have Ronaldo, which I think we'll, we'll dive into. We have Cody Gakpo making this move. It seems like that's going to get over the line. We have Enzo Fernandez. Those are three massive moves. It seems like Manchester United are, are certainly going to get involved. Maybe Bayern Munich as well, looking for an outfield. Uh, sorry, looking for a goalkeeper, looking for a starter in that spot. So there is plenty of stuff to talk about. That there is, my friend. Let's talk about that one you already mentioned. We apparently almost had him in Major League Soccer. Surprise. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is pursuing <laughs> that his dream. Wild. <laughs> yes. Yes, it would have been. Can we talk about excited. that for a second? I, I am very <laughs> we're not, disappointed. We're not even going to get into the intro. We're going straight to <laughs> yeah, a yeah, move no. that didn't happen. Go, Graham. Yeah, so was it was it Tom's report, or I think there were there were Taylor multiple Twelman, reports. Taylor Twelman broke it first, and then uh, the Kansas City Star and, and Tom Bogert both did sure. some follow-up reporting, and I think the Star had a lot of really good information about how this whole idea was yeah. hatched by Sporting Kansas City bigwigs. This is crazy. Yeah, absolutely crazy. So the, the MLS team that apparently, for anyone who hasn't heard this, the MLS team that was apparently closest to signing Ronaldo had even got as far as putting get together a pitch and, and some form of contract offer to him was Sporting KC, which is not exactly the club that if you'd said an MLS team was interested in Ronaldo, that wouldn't have been top of my list if it didn't have any inside information. And I am very disappointed this didn't happen, not really because I have any great desire to see Ronaldo in, in MLS, because I want to see what Ronaldo in KC would have been like, I, I, I can't imagine he's big on barbecue, for for example. And and Tom's report had it that Mahomes was Patrick yep. Mahomes was involved in because he's a he's a co-owner of SKC, right? So he was yeah, involved in the very pitch minority to, owner, yeah. To bring him to KC, I mean, I kind of want to see how it would have how it would does, have gone. To be honest. Does, does Ronaldo know who Patrick Mahomes is? So I read, and I really would recommend it to folks. It's it's an article by Sam McDowell in the Kansas City Star, and it references that as well. The same same thing that Tom references. I I do not believe that Cristiano Ronaldo knows anything about Patrick Mahomes and has ever seen 
an NFL game. I just don't I don't know. I don't believe it. It all all of this feels crazy and and it is about Kansas City, right? It feels objectively less crazy if we're talking about Miami or New York City, although the whole stadium issue makes that, you know, difficult or one of the LA teams. I say this as someone who lives in Phoenix and I don't think Ronaldo would ever come to Phoenix either. So I'm not trying to take shots at the city of Kansas City, but I mean, we got to know who we are here, right? So the reporting was that Sporting Kansas City's financial offer was not quite as good as Al Nassar, but was competitive, was the word that, that Tom used. I have it, questions it involved, about that. Yeah, so I don't know how they pulled that off, but apparently it involved <laughs> name and likeness deals, almost like college athletic style here in the U.S., marketing and, and salary. So, you know, they can only pay him so much. He'd be making more than Insigne if he'd come to MLS, so more than $14 million a year. And then all of that money's got to be coming in real estate or coming in other ways. I don't know how they can pull all those strings together. Um, but this this truly would have been wild. Ronaldo's getting paid $200 million a year in Saudi Arabia. So Insignia is the highest paid MLS player in history, right, yep. Joe? That, that's correct. Uh, yeah, I believe He's so, yes. Four, $14 million a year at, at TFC. Just a little ground to make up. <laughs> not, not that I am. I'm, I'm, I'm not for a moment doubting Tom's reporting. But that, 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 that phrase. They, they were close, but not, it wasn't up to the mark of the Saudi offer. Maybe that's doing a lot of heavy lifting there, because there's a lot of ground to make up between those two points. Uh, two things. First of all, brisket has no carbs, so I, I do feel like there's a chance well that maybe said, that would have appealed wow. to Ronaldo. Just throwing that one out there. <laughs> but secondly, yeah, uh, Graham, as you mentioned, instead, uh, Ronaldo will be playing for Al Nasir in Saudi Arabia. Uh, his deal is reportedly worth around 200 million euros, is what I saw, uh, per season, but that's factoring in commercial agreements. And so maybe that's what SKC couldn't do, uh, was was include that in the deal. But that's what like uh, the Galaxy did when they signed Beckham. Like I think the early reports were that he were it was like the deal... The six-year deal was worth like $250 million. And then in parentheses, when you factor in all the potential commercial avenues that could be explored or something like that. So th- this feels to me like they are hyping this deal so that Ronaldo seems like he's like this extravagantly paid player, that there's money to be spent. But in reality, I think it's probably a more realistic sum. Who knows if that's the case? Either way, the unveiling at on this year was awkward. Uh, Joe alluded to it in his response. Uh, Ronaldo mistakenly said he had come to South Africa. Also, didn't even say, like, I'm really excited to be in South Africa. I think the line was... Like, my career isn't over because I've come to South Africa. So right there, a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, Claimed that top clubs around the world wanted to sign him. According to a great piece by Nick Miller, seemed like he was still trying to talk himself into the move as he was being unveiled and discussing the move. Uh, Graham, (laughs) is this whole situation as strange to you as it is to me? Yes. And and I read Nick's piece on The Athletic about his unveiling as well. And and I agree, that's very much how it came across with Ronaldo talking himself into it. And I think that's the sad thing about Ronaldo moving to Saudi Arabia is the way he's trying to convince himself mm-hmm. that he isn't entering the soccer wilderness. He's, he's repeated a number of times that the Saudi Prep, uh, uh, Pro League, I believe is the name, is a competitive league. I'm unconvinced about that. Ham- Hamdala, you'll remember him from the World Cup for Morocco, he had a decent World Cup, but I wouldn't say... In fact, one of his flaws at the World Cup was he didn't seem to um, have kind of finishing instinct. You wouldn't say he was a he was a natural goal scorer. He scored 112 goals in 108 games for Al Nassar. So I am not convinced it's the European Super League, shall we put it that way. And that would be fine if Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't so Cristiano Ronaldo about mm-hmm. everything. This is a player who will be 38 next month. He's achieved pretty much everything... He's one of the best players in, in soccer history. No one really would really begrudge him if he just toned it down a bit and took his gigantic paycheck before retirement. I mean, we'd, you know, I'd have an issue about where he's getting that paycheck, but in principle, plenty of world-class players have pulled the same move throughout history. Pele did yeah. it with the Cosmos. Messi will probably do it at some point in his career. But with Ronaldo, it's the delusion around this whole transfer. It's saying to Piers Morgan just over a month ago that he wouldn't go to Saudi Arabia for the money. <laughs> it's trying to convince everyone that there were offers from Europe when quite clearly there weren't. That's why he left Manchester United. That's why he got his contract cancelled and he didn't go to another club. It's just the, the lack of recognition of... I've spoken about this before, of his own mortality. Like, he's yep. 38 year, years old. It's fine to take a, a giant paycheck before you retire, but there's just nothing that really makes him relatable in any way. And, and yeah, it's, 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 that's why I think it's open season for mocking this, this transfer and why it's maybe different to Rooney going to DC United or someone like that. Yeah. And I, and I think the other part of that, that, that was really 
interesting, confusing, slightly saddening, uh, depending on how long you have like watched Cristiano Ronaldo, is that uh, I guess he allegedly sacked or no longer works with George Mendes, uh, his long-term agent. They've been together, I think, since he was a teenager. Uh, he's he's called George Mendes his his like older brother. He bought him an island eight years ago. Uh, so yeah, a, a bit of a connection there. But then parted ways, stopped working together in November, I think it was. And sort of reading between the lines, that feels like a, an agent who had shopped him aggressively in the summer tried everything he he could do to get him a move and basically confronted his his client with a here's the situation people are not biting there is this offer it's for 200 million you can take that and make a bunch of money and try something different and instead he goes on Piers Morgan and things don't go well and now he's gone to Saudi Arabia so it just seems like a person as you said Graham who's kind of battling against that mortality against the the changing of the guard so to speak and I understand that I understand not wanting to kind of move off that spot Zlatan certainly understands that but I, I think it's just a very odd situation, especially with Messi having just won the World Cup. I, I can't imagine that isn't playing a part in the bizarreness of this one. Yeah, I mean, what a contrast between Messi and Ronaldo the last month has been this celebration of Messi's brilliance and then Ronaldo trying to pretend to everyone that he's not entered soccer wilderness in, in Saudi Arabia. And in a sense, it's actually quite quite sad that he's not able to make that recognition. Um but also yeah. it's not really at the same time. <laughs> but on a positive note, SKC now have a deal structure in place. So Messi to Sporting Kansas City, fingers crossed. Uh, Joe, oh, let's talk uh, Cody Gakpo to Liverpool. That's another one that has uh, been confirmed. I am very excited about this one. How say you? I'm excited as well. I think this is Uh-oh. Uh-oh. a good is Liverpool sign. I mean... It is. Wow. You got on that really quickly. It is cautious, Joe Tones, because I think we should be cautious generally about this deal. What The reported figure for the transfer fee, at least, has been what? Like 40 million pounds, 37 million pounds. That's what's in my yep. notes. I think that's what ESPN has reported. We don't know the salary here. So that, that of course, is important. Agent fees as well. Transfer fees are not just the transfer fee. There's a whole lot of other expenses involved in bringing a player to a club. That's always important to remember. But I mean, this is not one of Liverpool's five biggest transfer fees ever. doesn't seem like this is going to be one of their five biggest outlays for a player ever, again, with stuff we don't know. So I, I don't know that the expectations for Gakpo should be incredibly high early off, right? I, I think he is an excellent player. We saw that at the World Cup. We've seen that with PSV in the Eredivisie. But he's kind of a player without a position. And, and Liverpool right now are kind of trying to find themselves as well. And so the ideal here for Liverpool is that Gakpo helps Liverpool find themselves and Liverpool helps Gakpo find himself. And it all works out great. And he's got a perfect role and he's functioning well and he is a star because he is good enough to be a star. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, ultimately, I don't fully know where he plays. Does he play on the left? He's done that some for PSV. He could play through the middle, but is that as a 10? Is that as, like, an attacking number 8? He kind of did all of that stuff for the Netherlands and he certainly has played on the left wing for PSV. So we can do a whole bunch of different stuff. I don't know exactly where yeah. Klopp is going to use him, but the truth is Liverpool need bodies in their attack and they need to continue climbing up the Premier League table and they need reinforcements for the Champions League. In that way, with, with Jota and Diaz out, uh, both out right now, excuse me, it does make perfect sense to sign Gakpo. The fee is palatable, which is good. Again, I don't know what the rest of the financials are here, but I think Liverpool could really harness him and make him great. But still, it's not like this is a plug-and-play right away. It's so obvious where you play him, unless I'm just missing that idea. Mm. I I just wonder if Klopp might use him through the middle. And I floated that in a running order, and I thought I would I might get I might get shot down in flames for even suggesting that. But Joe, you've you've kind of referenced it there anyway. Um, obviously, at the World Cup, he played as a central striker. He's played off the left for PSV. But Taylor, you mentioned that. Van Gaal had used him kind of as a central attacking midfielder during World Cup qualifying. Yep. So I guess it and, wouldn't be and so And a little crazy. bit at the World Cup. A little bit at the World Cup sure. as well. Yeah. So I guess, I guess there is precedent for it. I, I want, my question though is how deep, and this is where maybe I'm, I'm verging into kind of madness, but how deep could Klopp feasibly use Gakpo in that midfield? Because I look at a lot of his qualities in terms of ball carrying and breaking in between the lines and his physical strength and, and those things might, make him and the right structure might make him make him useful as a central midfielder I'm not saying he's going to be I, I wouldn't play him in, in, as one half of a double pivot for example no. I don't think he can do that but in, in a midfield three potentially and I'm, I'm, I'm aware this all sounds a little bit madcap but I look at what Eddie Howe has done with Joe Linton at Newcastle who was apparently a central striker he's now playing in a, in a midfield three 
Is it possible that Klopp, given Liverpool's need for someone in that midfield unit, someone with those qualities that Gakpo has, is it possible that he could do something like Eddie Howe has done with Joe Linton at Newcastle with, with Gakpo at Liverpool, at least until Bellingham is signed? That seems to be the long-term plan for Liverpool is Jude Bellingham. That isn't happening this month, I don't think. So could Gakpo maybe be a stopgap solution in there? I don't know. I'm kind of just floating it. I'm not even convinced myself, but it's, it's, a, it's a possibility. Joe, I have thoughts, but uh, you can go first if you like. Sure. I I think we could see him there, Graham. I don't know that that's going to be his best role, but I'd be curious, right? I think you mentioned ball carrying in that that analysis, which I think he is very good at, very shifty, smart on and off the ball. I mean, I think Gakpo is a phenomenal player. He's just kind of still a player without a clear place. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's the eight in in sort of as those those free eights that Klopp will use in this 4-3-3. Maybe it's as a 10 in a 4-2-3-1, which we've seen Liverpool play back in early Klopp Liverpool and then also early this season. Or maybe it's as a winger in, in the 4-3-3 or the 4-2-3-1. The advantage to signing Gakpo with where Liverpool are right now is, like I said earlier, they need bodies. And Gakpo could conceivably fill in in a number of different spots. We'll find out how deep Klopp could play him in that midfield group. I think it's that versatility. We, Graham, we talked about this on the Patreon, I believe, like why Liverpool made this happen so quickly. Because this move was, they, I think your point was, as like British reporters were saying, hey, there are rumors he's going to go, PSG yeah. were announcing it officially. Like It happened very quickly. And Liverpool, we know, uh, have or have had a, a solid scouting department. This feels like one where they identified a player who can do a lot of different things, and that's what they need right now. So they have a lot of injuries and a lack of depth out wide in the attack, so he could do that. Oh, we need somebody more central in the attack. He can do that. Maybe it is even, yeah, he can sit a little bit deeper, especially if we're playing against teams that are putting 9 and 10 behind the ball and just making us beat them. Do, do you need another holding midfielder in there? Maybe not. Maybe you need somebody to like similar to what Christian Eriksen is doing at Manchester United, sitting alongside Casemiro, but not necessarily being defensive-defensive, but being involved in the defense somewhat. So I think that versatility is a huge part of why this move happened so quickly because he's a really coachable player. It, we've seen that with uh, PSV, but certainly with the Dutch, that I think he's a key part of how Louis van Gaal was able to change the approach, to change tactics in-game. I think he he takes instruction really, really well. And that, to Mm -hmm. me, is a a player that Jurgen Klopp wants. You look at those wide signings as well for Liverpool in the past. In my mind, almost every single one of them was like, mm, we'll see how that goes. And then all of them have more or less worked. That would include Salah and Mane, but Luis Diaz is a prime example of that. Diogo Jota, even Jordan Shakiri. I remember that happening and thinking like, oh, that might be one that doesn't quite work. And, and it worked pretty effectively when it needed to. So I, I think I'm pretty, I am really hyped about this one. I think there's a chance that he is, if not plug and play, a, a, an impact player for yeah. Liverpool by the end of the month. And, and Klopp is one of the best at looking at players for their attributes and their mm-hmm. qualities and maybe using them in a slightly different way to how they've been used previously. So, for example, uh, someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold, I believe, was used as a central midfielder in the youth teams for Liverpool. He comes into the, the Liverpool first team and Klopp realises, actually, I need that creativity at, at right back. And now he's one of the best right backs in in, in European football, Roberto Firmino as well, the way he's been used as, as, as a centre-forward. I look at someone like Alex Oxley-Chamberlain, who at Arsenal yep. was a winger, makes the move to Liverpool, and that he's been used as a central midfielder pretty much his entire Liverpool career. So it, it is exciting to look at someone with the talent of Cody Gakpo. He could be one of the best players in the world. He has that sort of ceiling. And then pairing him with a manager like Klopp and wondering where his career is going to go from this point. It is exciting. So we've got the Cody at the Liverpool. Uh, We will see uh, what kind of an impact he has, but we're all very excited for it. One other move that has happened, there are many other ones, but one I wanted to mention is uh, Max Vober from Salzburg to Leeds for £17.7 million. I knew nothing about him, but Salzburg to Leeds felt on brand. Uh, I watched (laughs) a a, a few clips of him. Uh, Thank you, Scout. He's an Austrian defender, very, very much a Leeds player, and I'm not sure if that is a good thing for Leeds from watching him. Uh, if you want someone who will try to aggressively step and win and then play forward quickly, he does that, and he does it a lot. So he's going to step, he's going to try to win, and then he's going to launch those counterattacks and get involved. Uh, he can play, I think, left center back. He can also play left back and get involved in the attack. But that means he's going to dive in. He's going to concede fouls. He's going to get beat. And sometimes he, ex- he is so excited to launch that counterattack that he wins it, and then he plays it five yards behind his teammate and fails to launch that counterattack and has now taken himself out of position. So there's 
it's just such a very Leeds signing of win that ball, play it forward, make that attack happen really directly. But at the same time, it's it's like having like a, a herd of Jack Russell Terriers and thinking, you know what will calm this town down? A larger Jack Russell Terrier. Let's get that <laughs> in there. So I don't know if this will change much about the way Leeds play. Maybe it just gives them more depth. But it was just watching him was like, oh, yeah, okay, so he's just a Leeds player. Got it. That makes mm. total sense. Jesse Marsh does have serious uh, Jack Russell terrier energy doesn't he that feels like on brand for that that team and that manager in that club so another jack russell in there sure i can't wait to see it he does but like a jack russell terrier that can somehow like open a switchblade real quick just let you know it's there not gonna use it but you know it's around it's around uh so that was one other move that happened let's talk about some moves that might happen could happen should happen in just a moment first let's take a break to hear from today's sponsors Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back. We're talking transfers that might happen, could happen, should happen. That's the new phrasing of this one. Let's talk Enzo Fernandez to Chelsea. A move that I didn't see happening, but also kind of saw happening because everyone in the world, Joe, has apparently been linked with Enzo Fernandez. It does seem that way, doesn't it, Taylor? So Enzo Fernandez starred at the World Cup for Argentina. He's 21, turns 22 later this month. Actually, maybe he already has turned 21, 22. I don't know. I haven't checked that since I wrote these notes yesterday. Maybe his birthday was today. Uh, he is Argentinian, as I said, central defensive midfielder slash central midfielder. Moved from River Plate to Benfica in the summer. Played 13 league games in Portugal, and now we're talking about a hundred million plus move to Chelsea. It's just ridiculous. The release clause, yeah, Graham loves this so much, as do I. The release clause is about 105 million pounds. It's, it's somewhere in there, reportedly. Enzo Fernandez, if a team pays that release clause, would become the Premier League's most expensive signing ever. I, I think it's a little crazy to spend that on on a midfielder, but Chelsea have money. Thank you, Todd. And they need help, right? The midfield is getting old. Conte and Jorginho are both 31. Kovacic is 28. And Chelsea are 10th in the table, at least as of this morning before, you know, more games kicked off all across Europe because that's where we are right now post-World Cup. Maybe Enzo Fernandez is the link player that they need. Maybe he's the spark that they need. I I think there's no question in my mind that Enzo Fernandez helps this Chelsea team. The question is simply just them spending their money wisely. And and maybe with Todd Bowley splashing cash left and right, you know, they don't even need to spend wisely. I don't even know anymore. Yeah, I mean, this this could be a great signing in that Chelsea have an old midfield right now. And we, we, we spoke about this 
back when Potter was appointed Chelsea manager, there is a lot of overlap between Potter and, and Tuchel as managers, but I think the biggest difference is, is in how Potter uses his midfield and the coverage and the, the dynamism, the energy he looks from that and looks for in that area of the pitch. And at the moment, Chelsea just don't, they don't have that. They don't have the players to, to play the Potter way in the middle of the pitch. So bringing Fernandes in will help. So he could be a good signing. But I don't see any way this is a this is a good deal if I can make that distinction between the, the between the two things. As you mentioned, Joe, Chelsea are paying 127 million euros for a player who went to Benfica six months ago and has made a handful of appearances. And for that reason, I think it has to be one of the most ludicrous transfers in football history. It's up there with uh, Usman Dembele to Barcelona, Yao Felix to Atletico Madrid, also involving Benfica. They are very good at getting a lot of money for yeah. uh, for young players, it seems. It also makes me question the Chelsea scouting department, if that even is a thing at the moment, if that is anything more than just Todd Bowley at, at this point. Were Chelsea trailing Fernandez six months ago, and if they didn't view him as worthy of 10 million euros with, and, and once you factor in add-ons, that's 18 million euros. So let's just say for argument's sake, it's 80 million euros. If they, if they didn't view him of that money in the summer, is 19 games for Benfica and seven games for Argentina at the World Cup really enough evidence to suggest yeah, that he is baby. now worth 127 million <laughs> euros, which is a Premier League record? It is. It's just insane. It is insane. It is comical, right, a little bit here. And that's that's what I've been trying to rail against a little bit on this move starting last week. Graham, I'm glad that, that we're on the same page on this one. You know, good player, very good player. We saw that with Argentina. Just the fact that six months cost Chelsea 110 million euros is hilarious. And I, I love it, and I hope he's great in the Premier League because I, I like watching Enzo Fernandez. I think he's going to help Chelsea when this move gets over the line, if it gets over the line. But, I mean, just the timing is objectively comical here. Yeah, it, it's, it is the ultimate... We're a Premier League club and we can do what we want yes. transfer. Yes, it is. Well said. One one quick question for me on this one, Joe. You said it's going to help Chelsea. Playing devil's advocate or Chelsea advocate, is there a chance that they have just identified Enzo Fernandez? they've watched footage of him and they think this is the guy that will fix our problems that can like do an N'Golo Conte and a Mateo Kovacic and a Jorginho combined? Like, is there a chance that they've just decided this is the guy that fixes our midfield that makes this team better? We don't care what he costs. I hope so. I'm sure that's what Chelsea have done here, right? That's the only explanation for making, you know, a midfielder who's been in Europe for six months the most expensive Premier League signing of all time. Like, that's the only possible reason you would do that. I think the real question is, are they right or not? And I don't know yeah. that I have a great answer to that question. But, I mean, I think Enzo Fernandez is good. I've seen him play soccer. I think he does it really well. I think he's good at a lot of stuff. I think he could do aspects of all of those <laughs> midfielders that you said, of what they do so well. You know, will that help Chelsea climb back up into the Champions League spots? I mean, that is a much trickier proposition. I think the only mitigating factor in terms of the, the, the transfer fee is that there was a lot of chaos, there was a lot of upheaval at Chelsea in the summer window, and so maybe Enzo Fernandez slips through the net, and their scouting department, whatever that looks like right now, has gone back to his River Plate days. Mm-hmm. They they have looked at more than the 19 Benfica games, they've looked at more than the 7 Argentina games at the World Cup, and they have decided had th- th- this guy is the solution to our problems and had they been in a more kind of well-set position in the yeah. summer that they probably would have moved from in, in, in the summer. That is the only mitigating factor that, that they've looked at a larger sample size and decided that. The thing that would make me nervous if, if I was a, a Chelsea fan was there was just no talk about Enzo Fernandez yeah. before the World Cup. The World Cup is seven games and now they're paying over 100 million euros for that player. Yeah, uh, that's where, Graham, I, I, I think... You might be right. Maybe they did all that scouting. But I also love the idea that Joe's scouting report was Chelsea's scouting report. Like Todd Bowley is on the phone, covers the receiver, and is like, he's definitely worth like over $100 million, right? And the Chelsea scout responds, I've seen him play soccer. He's good at it. And like that's all it took right there. That's going to make the difference. Uh, Joe, since you gave us that phenomenal scouting report on Enzo Fernandez, can you give us one on uh, Mikhailo Mudrik uh, moving to Arsenal, potentially? What could they be expecting if that move were to happen? Yeah, so it does seem like Arsenal are in for Mudrik. They've had, according to ESPN, an opening bid of about 65 million euros rejected, uh, but have returned with another bid that is still below Shakhtar's 100 million euro asking price. So that's what we know so far about where Arsenal stand. At least that's what ESPN says about this whole situation. Mudrik is a 21-year-old Ukrainian winger. I mentioned that there he plays for Shakhtar. 
10 goals in all competitions this year, right-footed, very quick, very dangerous, cutting inside from the left wing, just incredibly skillful and aggressive breaking into space. Like, he is rapid. He is going to blow right by you. He does a lot of things very, very well. The question I have, though, and and we kind of see this at times when Shakhtar play in Europe, right, when they're in European competitions against, you know, teams of a higher quality outside of the Ukrainian league, you know, how does... How does a player like Mudrik operate in tight spaces that Arsenal like to create because they are a possession-heavy team, well over 50% this year? How does a player like Mudrik, who likes to be in space, operate when space is taken away from him? I don't know the answer to that question. Like There, there are always risks with transfers. That's not a hot take. There's always stuff that's not going to work out. These are big questions. Arsenal clearly feel that Mudrik is good enough to warrant the risk, to warrant the risk of this signing just not working out. I think they could be right because I think he is one of the best young players that I've watched in a really long time. You can see that with the Ukrainian national team. You can see that with Shakhtar. I think he is really, really good, and it would not surprise me if he is one of the next kind of global superstars in this game. There's a lot we don't know still, but the speed, the technical ability, the right foot, what he's already shown at at a good level playing in European competitions and for the Ukrainian national team, all of those data points do combine to this being an ambitious and, and I think, quality move for mm-hmm. Arsenal. If they can get this thing over the line, adding depth, giving Saka and Martinelli another option to compete with, to elevate them in training is the ideal. Hopefully it doesn't you know, break the team. I don't think there's a real risk of that. But, I mean, getting Mudrik into this team as Arsenal try to finish their, their title race and, and try to end up with the Premier League title this year and compete, I think is it's important to solidify this squad and to add depth and Mudrik would certainly do that and, and compete for a starting spot as well, certainly. I'm, I'm going to do the, the Joe Lowry, Enzo Fernandez bit here because I, I watched Mudrik five times, like f- five full matches last year. So Scotland played Ukraine three times and then Celtic played Shakhtar Donetsk twice in, in, in the Champions League. He is good at soccer. That is my analysis of uh, Mikhailo Mudrik. I think if Arsenal can get hold of him, then they should they should make that signing. I, I, I know he's not the centre-forward that maybe a lot of fans want to deputise for Gabriel Jesus while he's out injured. But I even think adding him to the squad makes gives Arsenal a little bit more fluidity yes. in, in those attacking positions. So all of a sudden you can use Martinelli as, as the central striker if you need you need him to be that. You have Mudrish on the, on the left side. And I also think if Arsenal can get that, that transfer done, I think it highlights how Arsenal have changed under Mikel Arteta. So not, not so long ago, Arsenal had... A reputation as this place where young players' career would would stagnate. Now you have Mudrik, who is wanted by other clubs. <laughs> I saw him linked with Chelsea just yesterday because, of course, they're linked with uh, with Mudrik. But it really seems like he's determined to end up at Arsenal. There's a, yeah. there's a there's a, a good few quotes from him. His Instagram is is quite thirsty for for Arsenal right now, and. I think that's presumably because he's seen how players like Saka and Martinelli and Odegaard and Saliba have all developed there as young players. And and that is a pretty significant shift for Arsenal where the best young players now actively want to join them, join them where in the past, maybe they're avoiding Arsenal or they're, they're not picking up their calls. I have one question because I find myself confused by these two transfers we've discussed, these two rumors. Joe, what was the opening bid that had been denied? So according to ESPN and what I read on ESPN, mm-hmm. it was about 65 million euros that was bid okay. by Arsenal last week. And as you said, what Gakpo was around 35 million, 40 million? Right. And then Enzo Fernandez is 130 or whatever. Jao Felix, we're going to talk about him, is like 120. Do I There's no you, logic. Like what, what okay, <laughs> agreed. What is a what is a like a high value transfer at this point. Like not long ago, it was like they spent thirty five million. Like wow, that's a lot of money to spend. I don't even know what is a lot anymore. Is a hundred million a lot anymore? Like that seems to now be the the, the kind of standard for a top tier talent. Is I that just, sort of what we're looking at? I just don't think we can tell based off of the transfer fees. Like I bang this drum and it's it's boring. But there's so many other finances that go into these deals. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, Liverpool could pay forty million for Gakpo. And give him twenty million. This I'm sure it didn't happen, but they could give him twenty million a year for a salary, pay his agent ten million dollars, and all True. of a sudden, over the life of a four year contract, you're looking at you know a hundred million. I mean, it just gets it gets excessive very very quickly. Enzo Fernandez, for as big as that transfer fee is, maybe he's taking a salary cut. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm sure he's not from Benfica to Chelsea, but maybe he's not making as <laughs> much as other players in the Premier League are. And maybe the agent fee wasn't too bad. And so all things considered, this deal is still extravagant from Chelsea, but it's not insane 
we just don't know. I, I don't think transfer fees are a very good metric for us to gauge like really how much people are spending. It's all that's released to us in the public, so it's all we can work from. But it is just such an incomplete window. I, I believe Gakpo was under contract until summer 2024 at, at PSV. So there's a year and a half left in his contract. And it's kind of the unwritten rule of football. Once you get to a year left in the contract, Taylor, you'll, you'll know this kind of mm-hmm. clubs are not willing to pay as much. So maybe it was it was PSV taking the money when it was available in, in this window. And I also read that maybe they had some financial issues at, at the moment or, or some mm-hmm. financial pressures. They didn't qualify for the Champions League this season. I think that was a problem for them. So there's all sorts of different factors. For Enzo Fernandez, it's his release clause, right? That's the reason that it's, it's right. that amount of money. Um, I'm not entirely sure why Mudrik has been set at, at that sort of, of 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 price point, but nonetheless, I think he is a he's a very talented player who will improve that Arsenal squad. I think agreed. I appreciate those explanations for both of you, and they do help. I, I just I get confused when it's like, oh, he costs 75 million. Like, ah, that seems like a lot, but maybe a fair price. Oh, he costs 125 million. Eh, that seems like a lot, but maybe a fair price. It's it's difficult to know anymore, uh, and that leads us nicely to Joao Felix, who had a great World Cup with Portugal, has had an up and down time, I would say, with Atleti. Has games where he is next level. Has games where he is very very frustrating to watch, uh, Graham. But I think what we can all agree is that he is definitely a fully proven number nine striker. (laughs) Uh, So Joe and I spoke about this on the BR Live show we did last week um, because I'm finding the speculation around Yao Felix really frustrating because it's as if nobody watched the World Cup. So as you mentioned there, Taylor, he, he had a very good tournament for Portugal, but it wasn't as a striker, which is apparently the position he's wanted to play by teams that are chasing chasing him in this window. So Arsenal have been linked, Chelsea, because of course they've been linked, Manchester United have been linked. Apparently they all want him as a striker. He is not a striker. He's never been a striker, particularly after a World Cup where he played very well in a deeper role, where he had the freedom to drive the ball forward and play in between the lines. And if Potter wants him to play there, then cool. Same with Ten Hag. And, and this is maybe where there is some agent talk going on because I reckon those sort of coaches know what Yal Felix is. But nonetheless, it's all very frustrating because I just hope he doesn't go to another club where he's asked to do a job that he, he can't really do. He is not an Atletico Madrid number nine, despite the fact that Diego Simeone has asked him to be that for the last three seasons. I think there is a recognition on all on all counts from Atletico Madrid's side, from Felix's side, and from the clubs that are chasing him in the Premier League, that he needs to move on. There needs to be a fresh start there. There is a very special player in there somewhere, but it will all be pointless if he goes to another club and just make they make the same mistakes that Simeone has made at Atletico Madrid. I don't want that for him. So, Joe, he he shouldn't maybe be rocking up at Man United or Chelsea? That's not going to make them instantly better? I think those teams should probably be avoiding Yao Felix. I mean, I want to see Felix go somewhere because I think he's I think he's fun to watch, right? He is... This sort of luxury player, not that he, he doesn't move and, and run and do all that stuff, but he's silky on the ball. He is, as Graham said, best when he gets to roam a little bit. It, it can be difficult to accommodate those kinds of players, and I'm not sure that Man United want to accommodate Bruno, Christian Eriksen in midfield, and Yao Felix up top or even on the wing. And I'm, I'm not sure that Chelsea need another kind of, is he a winger, is he a 10, is he a striker sort of attacker. I feel like they already kind of made their move for that player in Christopher Nkunku. Who will, who will arrive, easy for me to say, in the summer, even though Nkunku and Felix are, are completely different players. Nkunku is much more mobile and aggressive and incredibly technical as well, don't get me wrong. But Felix is is kind of floaty, and I don't know that these teams should be spending whatever the, the 21 million euro package that The Athletic is reporting for Felix for a loan. It just it feels foolish. Joe, sometimes when I'm in FIFA career mode, I will sign a player when their contract is about to expire, then forget I have done that, and then still make a transfer to sign a player for that same position. <laughs> is there a chance that Chelsea are doing that with Nkunku? I think there's <laughs> they, a real they chance. They've forgotten they did that move. Yeah, maybe this is the Todd Bowley four four three situation coming into play, and, and Felix is going to be that, that fourth midfielder. I think that could be what it is. Yeah, Christopher Nkuka turns up in, in the summer and Chelsea, oh, Christopher, we were totally <laughs> expecting you. We, re- we definitely remembered that we signed you. <laughs> the, the new FIFA has this thing where when you sign a player, they like walk in the stadium front door and you have a person who's like chatting with a receptionist who's like, oh, you're here. That is totally what I'm now picturing <laughs> happening with uh, with Chelsea and Nkunku. Uh I do take solace that Ed Woodward is no longer involved with Manchester United because I, I feel like he would have made this deal happen, especially once that fee came out of, I think, a 21 
million euro loan uh, for a six-month loan, if you want João Felix uh, that way. That does include his wages, so that I think that number is a little bit overblown because you roll those two things in together, and yeah, it's going to be a higher number. I don't know if I would splash that $20 million for a six-month loan, uh, and then you've got the full fee of between 100 and $120 million, so who knows uh, who will be going for him. I don't know if it will be Manchester United, but we've still ta- got uh, Liverpool, we've got some Man United, we've got some Dortmund uh, and Bayern still to be discussed. Let's take one more break and round out our transfer window chat. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back. We've talked Liverpool already a little bit when we talked Cody Gakpo. Graham, you were focused on the potential of him playing as a central midfielder. Let's say he can do that, but that's not where they want to use him. They want to use him wide. Do we think Liverpool will go for a central midfielder in this window? That's a difficult one to answer because they certainly need a central midfielder. But Liverpool are in this difficult position because long term, it seems like they certainly want Jude Bellingham, which is understandable. There's a lot of clubs that want Jude Bellingham, but it seems like on the basis of the reporting, they're quite they're quite high in the list. They're they're near the front of the queue to get Jude Bellingham. There's a feasible chance that he goes there in the summer. So they're in this difficult position because maybe long term waiting for him is the right ploy, but the longer the wait they wait, the more that midfield is breaking apart. And and that is having a real impact on them in the short term. To the point where I think it could cost them a top four place. It could cost them a place in the, in the Champions League next season. It's also a difficult position for FSG, for Fenway Sports Group, who are trying to sell Liverpool at the moment. And that becomes harder if they're not a Champions League club. So from FSG's point of view, is it actually worth, and look, I don't think they're going to do this, but nonetheless, it's worth a discussion point. Is it actually worth dumping 150 million euros on Jude Bellingham, which apparently is what Borussia Dortmund are looking for him. Is it worth paying that for him in this window to give them a better chance of a good sale? Is is that money actually worth something on the point of the sale of the club, if that makes sense? So Liverpool qualify for the Champions League. And look, there's no guarantee if they sign Bellingham in this window that they're going to do that. But it would certainly give them a better chance. 
is is that money going to become apparent in, in the money that FSG get from another buyer for Liverpool? Or is it should should they keep their powder dry until the summer when FSG might not be the owners anymore? There might have been a change of ownership at Liverpool. So I'm not expecting an answer to, to that mm-hmm. question. It's kind of rhetorical, but it's just a consideration that Liverpool are surely making in this window. I'm not even entirely sure if Dortmund would sell in January, but I'm sure if 150 million euros landed on their desk, they, they would give it some thought. Uh, Man United fan speaking, so I don't think this is biased, but acknowledging that up front. Graham, you've talked before about how uh, like between Manchester United being for sale and Liverpool Liverpool being for sale, Manchester United might be the more attractive one just mm-hmm. because there is so much that you could do that needs to be improved yeah. and expanded upon that like you can still maximize your return in that way and, and create more value. Liverpool maybe less so. And in that way, signing Bellingham for £150 million in this window feels very much like a continuation of that, that you're not going to get 175 for Jude Bellingham. Maybe the market will allow that down the road, but it feels more of like a signing that you're just you're spending that money because you need that impact player. And then if you do end up selling him five years from now, maybe it's for 100 million or 125 million. So in that way, it's like a very now move that helps you very much long term, but doesn't have that sort of added. And then we can sell him on for even more down the road. So it does feel like a a potential sort of logical thing for Liverpool to go for right now. Potentially, yeah, and I, and I think we have to consider, we've not had the Man United discussion yet, but I was going to raise the point of Manchester United's sale as well in terms of their transfer activity. All that stuff is intertwined in the northwest of England right now. I do think there is a little bit of competition between Liverpool and Manchester United in terms of attracting those potential buyers, those prospective, I can't say that, perspective, that's the word I'm going for, buyers. And if one of those clubs is a Champions League club next season and the other one isn't, then that is that is going to be a factor. So, it, it, there is that short-term element to whether Liverpool should go for Bellingham right now. Um, and the other part of this is Real Madrid are the other team that are seemingly hot on his tail. If they wait until the summer, do Real Madrid get him? And then Liverpool have missed out in the short-term and the long-term. So it, yeah. I don't know if that money is there. I don't know how liquid Liverpool are right now, whether they have 150 million euros. But if that money was there, I, I would be tempted just to go and get Bellingham because why wait? They're gonna, they want him in the summer anyway. Um, so just get them in the team right now and you can have the short-term and the long-term benefit. Uh, just get like a few more LeBron series uh, green lit and I'm sure they can get some money off of him. That's like a cool $150 <laughs> million, uh, right there. Joe, would you like to see Liverpool uh, pursue a central midfielder? Do you think that's something they need right now? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know, to be honest. Graham, the conundrum that Graham has laid out is, is very real. You know, Do they invest and try to get into the Champions League slots Will FSG do that? Will they not? Should they just wait and save for Bellingham, who I think is you know, a generational talent? They're going to have to overpay for Bellingham, likely. I, either way, mm-hmm. it's just tr- this is tricky. I mean, I think in terms of where the squad is right now, if we get rid of all the other contexts, yes, they could do with a central midfielder. I mean, I, I just don't know if they're actually going to go out and do it. I really don't, and I don't know if they should or not. I don't know that I have a hard and fast opinion on this one. All right, gentlemen, I've got an idea here. It might be it might be ludicrous. I don't think it is though. I think you guys might like it. There is, is it a, Ronaldo to KC. There is yes, obviously that. Thoughts? We we all agree? Brisket? Cool. Sure. Uh okay. There is a player who is reportedly available. His uh, his his club is is, is, is putting him up for sale, maybe. He's Pick a box to box midfielder with yes, international he experience. He's played in yes, Germany and Italy. Does Weston McKinney make this Liverpool team better? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Why not? I think in, in that he adds depth, uh, not, not as a, not as a starting player. Surely, I mean, he's not. Weston McKennie is just not that guy. But if we're talking about Liverpool needing a central midfielder, I, I think McKennie has shown that he can thrive at times in a four three three, which we could conceivably see Liverpool use this year. Yeah, why not? I could see it for you know thirty million. Liverpool make that deal and and snag Weston McKennie and. And everybody's happy, and they win the Champions League, and Weston McKennie's holding the trophy and dipping it in ranch for some reason. <laughs> uh, I'm starting a new segment on the show that's called Joe Lowry's Muted Scouting Report, and it's just always like, yeah, he might be good enough. Thank you, Joe. Back to you. <laughs> like, 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 that's it. We're just going to throw it to Joe to say, like, yeah, maybe. Uh, and then we're coming right back. Uh, let's talk about another youngster who could be on the move, uh, Yusufa Mukoko. Uh, Mukoko, uh, Joe, I, I, I don't think I will ever uh, fully be able to spell that with confidence and maybe not pronounce it either. Uh, have you had similar conundrums? What are your thoughts on Mr. Mukoko who could be leaving uh, Dortmund? 
Copy paste from Google, baby. That's my mm. solution to that problem every time and to have you intro the player and not me. So Makoko, uh, yeah, out of contract in the summer. Chelsea are very interested in him per reports. Of course they are. <laughs> I think this would be, yeah, of course, Chelsea and, and everybody else in the world. I think this would be a great bit of business for whoever can get this deal done if he does not indeed re-sign with Dortmund. I'll, I'll give you a real scouting report on Makoko. I feel like people know Weston McKinney at this point, so I didn't feel oh, the, pretty the full good. need to break it down. Good? I, yeah, Makoku is pretty good, and the reasons why he is pretty good are as follows: just eighteen, striker, fairly mobile, is is like a, a traditional. I'm going to get in the box and break you down with my movement inside the eighteen kind of striker. He can get involved in hold up play, but he's not the biggest guy. I think he's five ten, so he is somewhat rangy, but he scores goals. Like his goal scoring numbers are very good, even in a somewhat limited role for Dortmund. I mean, the Bundesliga is an excellent level. That's I mean, that's all you could ever ask for, is for a young player to be scoring goals consistently and to have the underlying numbers match it, which they have with Makoko. I mean, he's been involved in the German setup. He's a very highly regarded prospect and now player, really, at 18. I think if somebody can agree to a pre-contract with him in this window, they probably should, depending on what the personal terms are and all that jazz that's boring and nobody wants to talk about. I do think... Makoko is a very good player, and he could be one of the best number nines, maybe outside of that Holland and Mbappe tier. You know, he, he could be a very, very good player by the time he is 19, 20, scoring goals in the Premier League, scoring goals in the Champions League, or, or wherever he ends up if it's not dormant. So we have this this teenager with with experience. He's got a lot of potential. I think t- uh, clubs are very hyped about him. Dortmund certainly hyped about him. Graham, with that all said, how did we get to this situation where he might be available for relatively cheap because he could be available for free this mm. summer potentially? So it's related to his his contract as essentially a minor, if that's the, if that's the right mm-hmm. term. So he was playing first team football for Borussia Dortmund, I believe, as a sixteen year old. And so at that point, basically, he was on uh, what's called um, pro-youth terms, I believe. And so he, the pro-youth contract allows him to sign a one-year professional deal. That is what's happened. So he's really negotiating his first proper contract as, as a senior player, as an 18-year-old. And so I believe that's how, in Scotland, we had a similar situation. Celtic had a similar situation with Karamoko Dembele, who was nowhere near the talent that Makoko was. But that's how I know a little bit about this. And I read it was a similar similar sort of situation. And that's how it's been allowed to stretch on this far. We're now in January. He's allowed to talk to to other clubs. I, I personally want him to stay at, at Dortmund. So he, he's 18 years old. The, the money can come later. And Dortmund have a track record of harnessing young players and turn them into superstars. And he's already a first-team figure there, and they need a, a new centre-forward after Haaland left in, in the summer. And all this kind of reminds me a little bit of Elias Moriba at, at Barcelona, yeah. where he left Barcelona, where he was getting first-team football. He was very much seen as you know, the, the, the next Paul Pogba, uh, 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 one of the, the best young midfielders in Europe at that point. He left our, to go to RB Leipzig because they were offering him more money at that point. Barcelona weren't able or willing to give him that contract. And that just hasn't worked out at all for him. He did, It didn't work out for him at Leipzig. He's now on loan at Valencia. I don't think he's doing well there. And these formative years, those teenage years and into your early 20s are just so fragile for a player. And having a club that can give you all the things that Dortmund can give you and are already giving Makoko this season, I, I think that's worth an extra million or two a season. So that, that's just my view. I am, however, a poor person. So what do I know? You know plenty, Graham Ruffin. And that shirt collection uh, is not that of a pauper, my friend. So uh, <laughs> I, I trust your, uh, your, your vision and wisdom here. Uh, Joe, let's stay in the Bundesliga, though, for a second. Uh, we've got Jan Sommer potentially going to Bayern Munich. Uh, there is a thing, I believe, in baseball where some teams will get so frustrated with either like a player who just always hits really well against them or a pitcher who is just lights out against them. And eventually they just sign that player because they're tired of having to compete against them. Is that what Bayern Munich are doing here? It does kind of seem that way. Now, I don't know how far along these conversations are between Sommer and, and Bayern Munich. Jan Sommer being Borussia Mönchengladbach's goalkeeper, being Switzerland's goalkeeper, I think is a very good player, has shown to be a good shot stopper. And Taylor, what you're referencing there is earlier on in this year in particular, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach were playing against Bayern Munich. I believe they lose that game 1-0, yeah. but not for lack of Jan Sommer trying. He saved you know 87,000 shots in that game. It was a Bundesliga record is what it was. It was 20-something Shots. It was an absurd performance. We talked about it on the weekend review following that game on the Monday. I mean, 
Summer has that kind of talent. Manuel Neuer down in some sort of horse alpine skiing helicopter accident, I think is what Ryan Bailey said it was, and I trust everything Ryan Bailey says. Bayern are looking for a goalkeeper. Maybe it's Summer, which I think would be a really good signing, or at least it could be. Um, talks of, of a few other goalkeepers from around Europe as well. But Summer has the added bonus of weakening a league rival along the way. And if you're Bayern Munich, I think there's value in that. Uh, speaking of that Manuel Neuer skiing accident, did not know that that was a vocal and potentially angry uh, subset of TSS listeners. But Ryan Bailey talking about how dangerous skiing is yeah. really kicked a hornet's nest of people <laughs> coming back to say someone doesn't ski very often. Yeah, Ryan really showed yeah. his hand there, didn't he? <laughs> I was yeah. I was not prepared for the skiing backlash. Maybe we should have been. Uh, yeah, but f- Bayern Munich should set their search filter on Football Manager to non-skiers and then go from there. <laughs> the cream don't do this. The frustrating they, thing for them is that they you actually too, have Graham. a vent. They're going to they- come for you too. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, big skiing is on my, is on is on my tail. Um, yeah, the frustrating thing for Bayern Munich is that they have a very good goalkeeper on loan at Monaco this season in the form of Alex Nubel, but there there seems to be no mechanism to recall him. So if they're signing someone, it is very much a short term signing. It, it's the it's the the goalkeeper goalkeeping equivalent of Yao Felix until the end of the season if if that player exists. Really enjoying how the January January window is showing us how many clubs operate the way I play FIFA Career Mode. That is fascinating and troubling all at once. Uh, final club <laughs> to be discussed: Manchester United, who uh, need a striker. Uh, Eric Ten Hag, uh, bef- like earlier in the week, I think said I preferred Martial's earlier performance. This season, which is not a ringing endorsement. Uh, I don't know if it's quite a, a burn, uh, but yeah, it's it's a way to put it. Martial has had uh, some good games, some goals this season, but I think uh, with Ronaldo's contract being canceled, there is obviously a spot for a striker to be brought in. Uh, we've had a bunch of names linked. Joe, can you run through a couple or maybe your favorite? Yeah, so I'll, I'll run through a couple. I don't, I haven't fully decided on my favorite. I have an aesthetic favorite and then maybe a practical favorite. So I'll do it that way. So Depay has been linked. He has six months left on his contract with Barcelona. Marcus Turam has been linked. Randall Kolomouani has been linked. Olivier Giroud has been linked. Aesthetically, I think Depay is the most fun player to watch of that group because he's silky on the ball. He can drop. He can also, you know, stay a little bit higher. I just think he's a phenomenal player. Maybe that's the move. I mean, we've kind of we kind of seen some of this stuff before from him. Maybe it's Marcus Turam. I think I think Turam would be my practical favorite in all of this. I don't think he has much left on his contract with Gladbach in the Bundesliga, but he is this versatile but still you know, almost proper number nine. He can play off the left and has done so for Gladbach at times, but he has the size. He has the physicality. He also can link um, and, and has good technical ability. He kind of checks all the boxes. He might not be an elite Premier League striker, striker. I don't think he will be an elite Premier League striker, but I think he's a very good player and could contribute in exactly the way that Man United need him to contribute this season. I don't know what the mechanics of a deal would look like to get him to Manchester, but I think you could do a lot worse than Marcus Taram for the rest of this year as you, you try to maybe push for those Champions League spots. Graham, I would love to know who you think United should go for. First, I would love to know why the the sale, like the club potentially being for sale, is maybe not helping things when it comes to finding that striker. Because when Eric Ten Hag calls up the Glazers and goes, "Money, please," yep. the answer comes back, "No." Uh, <laughs> it's to essentially which, to which, if we're following that, I believe Eric Ten Hag then has to go, "Money, please," and see if that yeah. makes any difference. Yeah, he has to then drop the Glazers from his matchday squad due to an internal disciplinary. There we go. There we go. And then see where we go from there. Um, yeah, that is essentially the issue is that the Glazers, as we have learned over the last 15 years, at the best of times, I mean, look, they've spent a lot of money, not, not any of their money, I should say. It's Manchester United's own revenue that has created the money that they can then spend in the transfer market. Hooray. But even still, it feels like when they are required to go that extra distance, that extra mile, the Glazers are not really willing to stump up that cash. So when they're looking to sell the club which is purely down to getting as big a chunk of change for them as possible there's talk of like seven billion dollars around about that mark so they are not really willing to stump up the hundred million euros it would cost to sign someone like Victor Osserman who it's similar to Liverpool's situation for me because Manchester United mm-hmm. they they know that the kind of player that they need and they know that player is going to cost a lot of money. Liverpool need a box box midfielder. Man United need a number nine. But the likelihood of finding that player in January 
is quite low. So Manchester United have to weigh up the short term versus the long term. In the long term, I'd be going for Osimhen in the summer. He has that release clause of 100 million euros. I would say he's he's probably looking at the rest of the market. He might be worth that amount of money. Until then, I'd be going for Memphis Depay for the reasons that, that, that Joe says. I don't think he's the perfect solution. And on a short-term contract, even on loan until the end of the season, I think he could perform that position relatively well. We saw his finishing ability at the World Cup, unfortunately, in that, that game against the US, and he has the Dutch connection with Ten Hag. So that would be the move I'd be making until you go for someone like Osman in the summer. I don't know if there's ever been a greater... I listened to all that with my head in my hands, by the way. Uh, there has never been a greater <laughs> representation of the divide between Liverpool and Manchester United right now than us having a conversation about how... Uh, uh, FSG seem like there's a possibility that they would make that difficult decision, spend the 150 million, get Jude Bellingham in because it puts them in a stronger position to qualify for the Champions League, uh, to make a run at the end of the season, and then to be this attractive, uh, glittering gem to be purchased. Whereas the Glazers, like, hey, we need 30 million to get a signing, and that will really put us over the top. Like, yeah, we want the seven billion. Like- we don't want 6.97 billion <laughs> or whatever it would be. Yeah. The Glazers are like, yeah, the roof's broken. You fix it. <laughs> Yay! I love them. They're fun. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, Joe, if Manchester United don't get Olivier Giroud, uh, I, I believe you said that in there that maybe there's some links to MLS. Where would you like to see him end up? W- what works well for Olivier? Uh, I mean, I think there's all sorts of spots he could help in Major League Soccer. Uh, at, at this point, I think Nashville has been bantered about a bit on Twitter, and I kind of like that idea. They play a style that involves, you know, Mukhtar kind of doing his Mukhtar thing, and they use another nine next to him, a, a bigger, more physical player. I think he'll be phenomenal in Nashville and could become like a, a very cult hero in that community very quickly. I think that could be fun. There's, like I said, there's all sorts of places that I think he would work very, very well because Giroud is a phenomenal player and would be a great get by almost any MLS team. But Nashville could be fun. All right, so Olivier Giroud to Nashville, Memphis to Man United, and all, all is right with the world, Graham? Sounds about right. Sign me up. If, if I'm being charitable, Manchester United did spend a, a pretty sizable chunk of change in the summer, and then there's the kind of unforeseen Ronaldo situation. That does free them up a bit uh, when it comes to the wages and the money, though they did kind of put themselves in that position by signing Ronaldo in the first place. So maybe no sympathy for Glazers. I started off saying maybe I should be charitable and cl- concluded this by continuing to not like them. So nothing has changed is basically what we've learned. Other than that, we've talked about a lot of rumors, some moves that have happened, uh, weird blackmail, uh, many other things. Graham Ruffin, thank you for talking about all those things and much, much more today. Thank you, Taylor Rotwell. That was a fun one. Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you as well. Hopefully it was a fun one for you too. Yeah, it was. Thanks, Taylor. Yeah, it was for me too. Listeners, hope it was for you. Talk to you soon.